we are activating your unique self-discovery one show at a time. The Orchard of Wisdom Self-Discovery Podcast are at your fingertips, just waiting to inspire and invite you in discovering just how awesome you really are and how to navigate through life in joy, enrichment, personal abundance, in mind, body, spirit, heart and soul. All the people we bring you are here to serve you on your journey of life. Do enjoy our next show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, folks, wherever you are. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters, right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my repeat guest is Richard Battle. We did a great show not so long ago, actually on the uncommon times, the common sense in uncommon times. And gosh, we're going to be talking about that common sense today. He is an author of many books, Navigating Through Life's Journey, uh, uh, conquering life's course and uh, unwelcome opportunities, surviving grief by God's grace, which is what we're going to be talking a lot about today. Um, he's a person that stands up for other people, for for righteous, for justice, for humanity. And unfortunately, the topic we're going to be talking about today is the premature death of children innocence taken by guns and the defense of those guns to, and where we need to change. We desperately need to change. He says, uh, like the community um, in Uvalid, he was faced with the reality that he had never contemplated. After a long search, he found comfort that his son was in heaven and that his faith assured him that God was in control. And he realized that grief, wherever his son was, but wherever he wasn't, he was then able to process his grief and resume living. I am a mother of three and I have a grandson and never, ever, ever in my life do I ever want to have to go through a loss of a child. I think it is probably one of the worst pains that anybody could ever go through. And no matter what the circumstances, it's something that we don't want anyone to go through. And especially when it comes to that of violence and then the violence being justified and not being rectified. And that is something that we really have to change, folks. And please don't wait for everyone else to change it. The change lies within you. We're going to show you a few paths today of how we can do that. Welcome back, Richard. Sarah, thank you for having me back with you again. It's my pleasure to be here. Now, you know, let's talk about your son. You lost him a long time ago, your only child. Um, can you share with us the circumstances of his passing? Well, and he was the first uh, child with my surname born in my family in 28 years. So he was very special to not only myself and my wife, but our entire family because of that. And he lived nine months before we lost him. He'd never been sick a day in his life uh, and died in his crib in the blink of an eye. Right. And so similar to what happened in New Valley, one, it's unnatural because it, it's not natural for children to precede their parents in passing. But second, it was very unexpected and sudden. And that creates a shock. It's a debilitating shock for a period of time uh, because of that unexpected loss. And I can understand that, although I tell people, I never tell anyone I can understand what they're going through. Right because everyone is different in their loss. And so I tell them I have a, an idea of what they're going through. 
and talk about how I might be able to help, uh, but I don't fully understand because every situation is different. And in New Valley, not only did parents lose children, but a lot of those people lost their, not only their son or daughter, they lost nephews and nieces, yes. next door neighbors. Mm -hmm. So the loss was multiplied in a small community. Everyone knew each other. And, and, and multiplied in numbers as well. And, yes. um, and, and it's not an isolated situation. It seems to be an escalation in America where uh, you know, anybody can buy you know, an AK-7 and, uh, and, and just take whatever their grief is out in life, out on innocence. And yes, we can blame mental disorder, but there the argument is, is if somebody is suffering some sort of mental breakdown or mental disorder, how did they get a gun in the first place? And when are we going to put a stop to this? Because, well, you know. First, first thing is there's good and evil in the world, I believe. Oh, yeah. And evil is going to commit crimes with whatever they can pick up and utilize, whether it's guns or fertilizer bombs like <coughs> McVeigh in 1995. And it's interesting, I was thinking this week, it kind of reminds me in reverse of the Old West. Mm. Because in the Old West, people would come and they'd settle a town and there was total lawlessness. Yeah. And everyone had to have a gun to protect themselves because the criminals uh, would just ride roughshod over everyone. And I think back to the movie, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance mm -hmm. and how lawless he was. And then finally, law and order showed up. You had law enforcement, a legal system. The evil people were disciplined, either put in jail or executed depending on their crimes and civilization resulted. And what's funny to me is it seems like we are reversing yeah. civilization because we've taken the law and order and wiped it away and we're letting violent criminals out on the street in the name of the criminal justice system, repeat offenders yes. who in certain cities, they just keep letting out of jail. And as we go backwards, it necessitates a need for self-defense like the old West until law enforcement and the rule of law comes back. But, you know, like we talked about in the first show, common sense, right? You know, um, you don't put a gun or a weapon, uh, a knife or anything in, in someone's troubled hands or in somebody that, you know, it's like we go to this full extent of teaching somebody how to drive a car because a car is a weapon if misused. Why do we not do the same with the same with, with a gun? Why is it, well, you know, you're of age, I don't care, here you go, you can have it, I don't care what you do with it. Um, why are there videos online on how to make a bomb? You know, uh, why is it all so accessible and then excusable? Well, the, the folks that have the mental illness in a lot of cases, there, there are signs there was a sign in Uvalde that was, again, missed. There's signs that are missed. And the question becomes civil liberties versus preempting people from striking. And yes, uh, we make laws. We have thousands of gun laws in the United States. And the problem is even the stuff they're talking about in Washington today, uh, it may stop a situation, mm -hmm. 
but it's not going to stop the evil in the heart of man. No, no. And, and, and if true evil in the heart, as you said, will find a way. But what we want to do is not make it so goddamn easy for them. And quite honestly, outside of military, who needs these AK-37s or whatever? Who needs that? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, a gun or a rifle to protect yourself yeah. in if you're in that kind of environment. But who needs these automatic weapons? Well, they're not automatic. Automatic weapons in the United States have been outlawed since 1930s. And the ones that are the so-called assault rifles are a semi-automatic. So every shot has to have a trigger pull. An automatic weapon, you pull the trigger and hold it, and it spews mm. hundreds of rounds a minute. So there is a difference there as well. And we have in the United States a Second Amendment, which was granted citizen rights. It basically protects all our other human rights. And it is not for hunting. It is for preservation against a totalitarian government trying to steal rights from the people. And there is a price to be paid for it. We're paying a terrible price right now, unfortunately. But uh, and there are things we can do better. I'll give you a couple of examples that happened in Texas also in the last four years. Uh, in 2017, there was a church shooting just north of San Antonio. Twenty six people were killed. And the shooter came in and the people ducked in the pews and he just walked up and down the aisles and shot him. And it did not stop until a neighbor a few doors down heard the gunshots, got his gun, drove to the church and killed the shooter. 26 people killed because they had no security at the church. Mm -hmm. Two years later, outside of Fort Worth, Texas, shooters stood up in a church service shot two men. They had security, armed security in the church who immediately shot the perpetrator and put him down. The whole event lasted six seconds. And that's the other problem. In that situation, if there had not been armed resistance, there's no telling how many people that man would have shot. Right. And the problem is, as they say, when seconds matter, the police are only minutes away. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you're not, if someone's not ready to respond and we have thousands of incidents in the United States every year of citizens mm -hmm. defending themselves and family members that rarely gets publicized, only the ones where innocent people are taken. And so there's a distorted image of the crimes and the self-defense and the numbers and examples of each of those so you know when one goes to church one doesn't assume one needs a gun when you go to the mall when your kid goes to school you know these are meant to be places of safety these aren't places where you feel you have to defend it but it's got that way it is and, it's gotten and, that way for sure and, and the place <coughs> i feel the two places i feel the least safe are in a public school and at the post office Mm. because it's against the law for anyone to protect themselves there. And so in churches in, in Texas, we have a much better opportunity in the church I go to. We have a group who are prepared. We have camera systems. We have preparations made to try to protect people. Mm. Uh, other churches don't. Yeah. Uh, but if someone has an evil heart, 
they're going to go where they think is going to be the least resistance. It, it's the can, same as, you know, burglaries. You know, if you have to sign yes. that door that you've got a burglar alarm, they got to go somewhere where there isn't one. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. And, and, you know, that evil heart, you know, has it always been there? Yes. Um, yes. Is it escalating um, or, or, or are they just feeling they have more power? than they've had before. Why are we seeing so much more of this today? Because well, for two, a long time, we, you know, it was a rarity to happen and now it just seems to be a commonplace. Well, I think there's, there's a couple of things. One, I think it is occurring more. The media has a microscope on it because they're promoting the confiscation of all weapons to make the public totally defenseless uh, so that's happened. And, but I think there's several things that have happened during my lifetime and your lifetime. Growing up, I mean, we had kids that would drive to school in pickup trucks with rifles in their gun rack. And there was no incidents because mm -hmm. the morals of the, yes. of the people were deeper. And the discipline, if you did something wrong, it didn't wait till you shot up a school. Right. There was discipline before. And, and responsibility and responsibility and, and, and being discipline. taught that that weapon is a weapon and you're yes. responsible for it. And now yeah. young people and, and people always that do crime always start small and escalate. Yeah. And if they're stopped early enough, then they're stopped. But if they're not stopped, if they're given excuses and put back on the street and they think, wow, I did this and didn't get punished for it. Now I'll try something else. Yeah. then there is an escalation, just like people as they advance in a drug culture. Right. So, and that's, that's just a human nature and a, and a fact, unfortunately. And we, the innocent people who would not commit crimes are the victims of those hateful, evil people. And if the government is not going to protect us through law enforcement and putting people in jail, then we have to be prepared to defend ourselves and our families responsibly yes responsibly, responsibly. that's exactly right I, and i think yeah. this is where the, things have completely gone awry where is the responsibility from anyone at the present moment you know we're, well, we're, we're seeing rhetoric and and yelling at each other and and we're seeing you know defense it's me guns i have the right but but you you, yeah. you there is no empathy in what you're saying yes you can have the right to protect yourself but where is your empathy for the people who have been victimized by this we are just wanting somebody to step up and put in that common sense, put in that responsibility, put in those background checks. Don't sell it to people that you don't know what their background is, right? It, it, well, why does there, an 18 year old need all these guns for a start? Well, there are, are, there are background checks. But they wasn't in these cases. Uh, the Uvalde, uh, he bought a weapon legally. So he had to pass a background check. Uh, I know that there was no background check, and he went. He went back and bought another one. Well, he bought else. two weapons at at gun stores, which would have had to do federal government paperwork and had to do background checks uh, on him. And so there was background checks. So you get into the issue: can you tighten that without taking away other people's rights? And that's a debatable issue. And also, um, does an eighteen-year-old need it? Well, need is a subjective thing. Do we do we need to have the freedom to drive a car or 
the freedom of speech or the freedom to do what we want to do. So 18-year-olds in our country are fighting in foreign lands mm -hmm. to protect us. And that was the old argument when they lowered the drinking age to 18. Well, if they can go overseas and fight, why can't they buy a beer? Right. Same type of same type of argument. So to me, it's not the age because uh, you and I were 18 at one time. And Long yes, there time were less, ago. People, <laughs> less people that did these type of things, not because of laws that stopped them, but because of the moral values mm. of the people, as well as knowing that if you did something, you were going to pay a heavy right. price for it. And Do you feel that um, um, self-respect, and I feel that the word respect is something that's becoming kind of almost obsolete in many ways and, and a lack of self-respect, because if you have self-respect and you have those values and you value life and you value the people around you, you can't knowingly go and do harm to anyone else because it's against that very moral code of self-respect and respect of life. Do you feel that we have generations of people now that are growing up with a total disregard to any form of respect? Well, absolutely. And I mean, <coughs> the change of faith in the public square takes some of that away. Uh, when you and I were growing up, the family television shows, the mothers and fathers were honorable, respected people. They taught the children how to live. And then in the U.S., starting in the late 80s with uh, Married with Children, all of a sudden from that point forward, fathers have been reprobates and horrible, pe irresponsible people for the last 30 years. Yeah. If, if we look at the statistics in the U.S., the violent criminals, probably 90% of them do not have a, a responsible father figure in their life. And yes. we need homes with fathers and mothers, mm. not being baby mamas or baby daddies. They have to be fathers and mothers responsibly training their children. Uh, the absence of faith creates all this problem of looking for purpose. Mm -hmm. What's my purpose in life? And people who ha don't have purpose and are not given adult direction, they get into all kinds of trouble. Well, when you have a faith-based home, you are taught you have a purpose based on that faith. And then when you have two parents guiding you, you have purpose and direction. And that's where the morals and responsibility and the discipline and things of that nature, uh, the honoring other people's lives. Uh, I'll give you a couple of other examples. We see, you can see in San Francisco where these young hoodlums are going into Walgreens stores mm -hmm. and they go in with bags and empty the shelves and run out. And not only are they not stopped, the police do not prosecute them. Right. Well, that, that behavior is being affirmed where they think yeah. they can do whatever they want to. Yeah. And they need to be disciplined hard then, and then you would cut down on future problems. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, you look at Singapore, or you can look at Saudi Arabia, and the minor infractions are dealt with immediately. And so those and, people and, and, know. And too extreme. <laughs> well, sometimes, Yes. But they're dealt with and the crime rates are very low because people know they cannot get away with evil. Yeah, evil balance in life. 70% yeah. of uh, the population in prison are foster children. 
that tells us that there is a massive broken system. Absolutely. We are not there supporting families to be families. If we could support the families where they could be together, they could provide for their families, they could live under one roof, we could support them as a community, the village raising the children. You and I could play out in the street when we were young. We weren't afraid of being kidnapped, right? It was a rarity. Yes. Now, if you don't see your kid in the yard, you panic, right? Well, yes, that's exactly right. In the United States, as they grew the welfare system in the 60s and beyond, uh, there was a financial incentive for the male not to be in the house mm. of a welfare recipient. That was the exact opposite thing from a cultural standpoint. What it was meant to be, yeah. Should have been done. Yeah. And so we need the fathers to be there. Uh, there's a culture in our country, a subculture, if you will, that promotes men having children with as many different women as possible. Yeah. And that's not right either. And that's another subset of a lack of a moral foundation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so there, there are basic things we can do to restore. And there are people working so hard trying and making differences in small areas. Uh, but we do not have a corporate direction no. in, in the U.S. from those standpoints. I have a whole series called the Forgotten Children series, which is going to be collaborative uh, collective books on really what the problem is and what we can do about it. And, you know, if we're going to wait for government to change things, we're going to hell before we, <coughs> we're already there. Excuse the cough, folks. I do have a case of bronchitis right now. We, we already are in severe trouble and we have to have change, but we cannot keep waiting for the establishment to change. We've got to be the change and step up as a community. And we need to be there to support the people. Um, we are looking at uh, free-for-all sex, you know, that it's okay to have sex very, very young, multiple partners, and if you get pregnant, it's okay, you know, to be the single mum until they are the single mum and they realise how hard it is and how much of their life has been taken away from that youth and the opportunities and everything else. Uh, we do have this thing for a guy, the notch in the belt, you know, as many partners as they can, or as you said, as many kids with else people, where's the responsibility? I don't, know, I don't care. Uh, we do have this culture of gang mentality where belonging to a gang is, makes them feel more valued than belonging to a home, to a family or to a community. And we're letting our children down in such an exponential way that this is what's causing the dysfunction in their adulthood today. And we need to go back to the root. And this isn't an, you know, it is about family. And I don't care if it is um, gay family, straight family, it's about love. Ultimately, it is about love. That's what God is about. That's what life is about, love. And when you love somebody, you respect that person, you value that person, you're going to do everything you can to look after and nurture that person. And if we could go back to that center of love, and treat ourselves with love and each other with love, would we be chasing these, would we be having all of these killings and everything else? Because the moral is love. <laughs> well, yes, and, and you're correct that the government should not lead because uh, my opinion, all they do is corrupt 
But that and bolt, I don't care if it's Canada bolt. or the U.S. Yeah, government no. corrupts things. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of people in the U.S. working to tr on this type of situation yeah. and trying. But there needs to be more. Yes. And, and one of the things I always tell people, and I may have said it on, on your program before, but it can be overwhelming how many things we think we need to change to have a better life. Yeah. And so people get overwhelmed and they say, I can't do anything because there's so many things that need to be done. And so my encouragement is find one thing. <laughs> Everyone find one thing yes. and get involved and help. Yeah. And corporately, we will help all these different situations. And so the young people in the gangs, a lot of times that's the supplement for the family because the family's not there. Right. And all of these things, in my opinion, go back to a faith-based life and a purpose life beyond ourselves into a creator, however someone wants to define that. Yeah. But when we live for a purpose beyond ourselves, yes. there's no instant gratification. Mm -hmm. It's not selfishness. It's not materialism. We think long-term. Uh, we think how we can impact things throughout our lives and beyond. Uh, so there's much greater opportunities for self-fulfillment and there's hope. And we have to give these kids hope again, that there's, there is something for them that they can do and they can be great people, but yet we have people that go out and, and attack our greatest heroes over. If they have one indiscretion or imperfection, right. they get attacked and all of the great things they have done are thrown away and that's the wrong thing to do we, yeah, we to become persecute you you know we love to persecute yes. people don't we yeah. we need to celebrate mm. the achievers like in our country of george washington no he was not perfect none of us are and then we need to look at the failures and say yes he could have been better at this uh showing he was not perfect but look at these great things he did or yeah. she did. Yeah. And we need to celebrate and look at those examples and tell people, here's a young girl who was born an orphan or a foster child. And here's what she did mm -hmm. to become a great citizen and contributor to the world and share those ideals and give people hope and a vision of what they can do. Right. Inspiration begets invitation. And when you're inspired by somebody's journey, their service, their contribution, despite yes. their struggles, they become that invitation for you to believe you too can be a part of the equation. Yes. And our culture promotes negativism. Ugh. It promotes materialism. Uh -huh. uh, when I see some of these shows on television that are just gratuitous skin and sexualization and everything, and it promotes young people living for the moment only. Thinking an exterior life and not an interior life, right? Yes. And yes. so uh, I had a situation a few months back that, I, that I'll share because um, it just hit me all of a sudden. But my dad, when I was a kid, he'd go back for a second piece of cake after dinner or a piece of pie. He'd always say, well, 100 years from now, what difference will it make? <laughs> and we'd laugh just like that, because from that standpoint, it didn't make a didn't make any difference. Well, over the years, I, I inherited a table through my mother's family that my mother told me was my great, great grandmother's table. And she told me that she served milk and cookies to my great grandmother who lived until I was nine years old 
on that table with her and her friends. Mm. And that my great grandmother, when the friends came over, the style then was to have a little autograph book and the friends would write uh, sayings to your, to your friend. Mm -hmm. Well, after my mother passed, I went through and I found a picture of my great grandmother as a young teenager. I went through and I found that autograph book. Oh, wow. Sayings in there were written in 1884. Mm. And so I look at that table and I think that my great, great grandmother shared life lessons with my great grandmother yeah. on that table who shared them with my grandmother, who shared them with my mother, yes. who shared them with me. Yes. Now I've shared them with my daughter. So the things my great, great grandmother said 130 years ago are impacting me today. Yes. And impacting yes. my daughter and will probably impact her children. Right. And so we have, when you say responsibility, we need to think broader mm. and longer term because the things we may inadvertently say today may influence our grandchildren 50, 100 years from now. Um, you know, um, I handed over my dining room table to my daughter because I'm downsized and she built a house and she's starting, she started a family. But that has been 50 years in my life. It's, it's a 120-year-old table. And, uh, and it's lived in a few countries and it's had many a happier meal around it. And it's wonderful to see that table. It's not about the wood. No, you know, it, it is no. about the stories that has been around that table, Yes, the joy yes. and the laughter. And I think one of the things that we don't hold on to is good memories. We've, we've lived, we've started living in complaint all the time. It, it's never enough or we've been restricted and I can't do this. And, <laughs> I, uh, and, you know, we're moaning and groaning. And yet there are people in the world starving. You've got Sudan facing famine and, and, and war. You've got Ukraine. You've got your own battles in America. We've got our own problems here in Canada. Is there a country without a problem? No, there isn't. No. <laughs> Every country has a problem. But if you're going to sit back and just moan and groan about it and bitch about it, then you're never going to find a solution. You're never going to be the solution. And the solution is never going to be applied. But well, we have to realize we're all around this table. Yes, and that's and that's part of the importance of us studying and remembering and revering history, mm -hmm. because when we give it up as the culture wants us to do, then it, it lets evil go free. Basically, yeah, uh, we give up all of the examples of people that we can learn from. Yeah. And yeah. it makes the situation even worse than not having a family because you not have a family. You don't have any perspective of people who built things. And what I tell folks is there's a difference in builders and creators. Mm -hmm. They can build and create. And when things are torn down, they can rebuild and recreate. But the destroyers can only destroy. Right. They cannot build. No. And unfortunately, right now, the destroyers have the upper hand yeah. in a lot of the things that are going on. And, and we, you know, yes, we can look to the internet, we can look to social media, we can look to the media itself. You know, um, the media has got to take an enormous amount of responsibility because what they do, they sensationalize everything. And let's face it, fear sells. And, and what does fear sell? It sells uh, control over the establishment to keep you in fear because when they've got you in fear, they've got you where they want you. Yes. Right. So we have to stand up and take ownership over our own choices, our own lives, our own 
participation and, and not let anybody else pull our strings. We have to listen to something and go, but is that true? What can I do to investigate if that truth is there? Uh, what is the agenda behind what they're saying? Because we can't watch the news anymore without looking at it and going, what's their agenda? Who's paid them? Who's backing them? Because we don't get the truth in the news anymore like we used to. And we've got the social media, which is a fantastic platform if used right. Like a gun yes. could be a great, uh, uh, everything can have goodness to it if used right. But the social yes. media has become something to shallow us in such a way that all we can think about is that next like, uh, do, does somebody follow me? You know, can I be a Cardassian? Can I be this? Can I be that? You know, and it, how popular can I be without realizing every single thing about us is an inside out job. It is about our own connection to our hearts and souls. It is our own connection to our spirit. It is our own connection to our divine presence. It is our own connection to our gift in life, how we use that gift responsibly, how we serve one another, how we become the essence of who we really are. That requires us to go in and do that work. That, well, that's exactly right. And the media has chosen sides. Yes. And it reminds me of the old joke about the boxer goes out in the first round and he comes back afterwards and he's all beat to a pulp and, and his uh, trainers telling him, hey, you're doing great. The guy didn't lay a glove on you. He goes, well, you better check the referee because somebody's beating the, you know what? Out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and so the media is supposed to be like the referee, but right. they've chosen sides. Right. But I think back uh, to when we settled the country and I think Canada was probably very similar to the United States. When people left Missouri in the wagon trains and went West, they had no, nothing and nobody to help them. Right. They had to be self-reliant and independent, whether they faced uh, Indians, floods, fires, famine, whatever, they had to be self-reliant. Well, in the period since then, we have a government in this country who promotes being the sugar daddy, if you will, a first resort. And it used to be even when I was growing up instead of that you never ever thought about asking the government to do anything. Right. I mean, you, you never thought about it. And now they're trying to promote themselves. Hey, if you got any incident, any problem, you come to the United States government first. Yeah. And that at worst promotes a servitude, Mm -hmm. a slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I've written about, is it any worse being slave to man than being slave to government? Oh, and it's not. No. And, and, and in, so, in, in many ways worse because government are so, so manipulative, yes. so manipulative. And when you catch them out on a lie, you catch them out uh, on, on a certain thing, they will just create another law or change it in a way that can suit them, not you. They've forgotten they're working for the people. Well, that's exactly right. And that's the difference between us being a citizen and being a subject. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm happy to see happening in the United States now, especially in the school districts, parents have started getting involved mm -hmm. and they've started holding school districts more accountable mm -hmm. and they're starting to change curriculum budgets, who's representing in the elected offices in the school districts. And so that's starting and we need it in the United States mm -hmm. at every level of representative government, because for too long, we've had people who are making a career and fortunes off 
so-called representing the people. There's always power and opulence behind the strings. And those people with that power and who have gained that opulence, they're not going to let it go without a fight. And yes. they don't care. They're the ultimate narcissists. They're psychopaths. They don't care who gets hurt. But you put them in power, whether you put them in power by voting for them or you put them in power through the corporation, uh, whatever way the power they got, they got on the backs of walking on other people. Well, if you won't allow yourself to be walked all over, how do these people gain power? We can be that power for good. Yes. By empowering ourselves, our own voices, standing up and saying no more. We want equality. We want justice. We want the right to, to raise a family. We want the right to have jobs. We want the right to be represented. We want a communal voice that's going to be heard and not dismissed. And we, we want this collectively to come together in a common sense, matter of fact, logical, approachable, adaptable manner. Well, yes, and we the people need to demand more liberty. Yeah. And, as, and we have to recognize that every time government does something, they're taking power and they're reducing our power. Yeah. Every time we do something for ourselves instead of the government doing it, we're reducing government power and increasing our power. Right. And my hope is, and we need to educate more people about what they're giving up for the stimulus checks or other benefits that they're selling their souls and freedom in the future for a little pittance today. And nothing and is free, is it? People. Nothing is free. Uh, there, no, there's, there's always a price to pay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's worse than the old uh, <coughs> line about the, the masher asking the little girl, you want some candy, little girl? Mm -hmm. I think the government is much more insidious yes. than most criminals because they don't care. It's and they hide behind laws. Power. Yeah. And they can yes, manipulate and, those laws in any which way they want. Um, and we see this over and over again. And the big, big thing that we see absolutely zero accountability they could be the biggest criminals with the biggest spotlight on them but there is no accountability because I've, I've done numerous shows whether it's been on the police or on the military or on the cloth where crimes against these people have happened and because they were behind the uniform they were protected and never held accountable and I don't care who you are or what you are representing, you commit the crime, you are going to have to be held accountable for it, and you should not hide behind any position. Well, equal justice before the law is a ideal that the United States has that we do not enforce like, no. like we used to. And the politicians of both parties protect each other, unfortunately. Yeah. That's sad. And so they had a saying a few years ago about draining the swamp in the U.S., <laughs> but no one ever really defined the swamp. Right. Well, my definition is, is we're governed by career politicians. Yes. For career lobbyists. Yes. Executed by career bureaucrats. Yes. And protected by career media. Yes. And that is a consortium that has to be broken up to restore individual liberty. And, you know, the, where some of the laws has to happen, the filibusters, no lobbyists, and also anybody fighting for any position in government, the level playing field has to be nobody can buy the position. 
right? So you're only allowed so much per campaign. Each month, each candidate, only so much money per campaign, each person, level the playing field. Because you've got that billionaire coming in, where is it? Not Florida, no, California, I think, coming in, who's literally bought all the advertising, was it? 4,800 million or whatever. I'm not quite sure how much he is. <laughs> I mean, it, he's literally bought his position against somebody who they thought was a shoe in and who is a professional politician, there for the people, there to make the changes. And then somebody, as you say, the career person comes in and buys the position because he can buy the ads and he can manipulate the people with the bells and the whistles. Well, yeah. A for a start, folks, just because it looks pretty doesn't mean it's going to serve you. Just because it has shiny bells and whistles doesn't mean it's going to benefit you. Please, buyer, beware. Yeah, yeah. I, the only thing I disagree with what you just said is, is I'm not keen on professional politicians. Yeah, there, uh, there are some good people that there are, are some really good ones, there but... who are civil servants who are there to work for the people. Yes. But they're, they're... But they're not heard because of all the others. Yes, they, the issue that I have with a quote-unquote professional politician is they come right out of college. They never have a job in the private sector. They do nothing but work in government their whole lives, elected office or bureaucrats. And so their perspective is a very myopic yeah. perspective because the that's all they there. know. Whereas I believe we're better off and it's not partisan for any party. I, I think we're better off with people that have a wide range of experiences that are not necessarily lawyers that are farmers, yep. uh, doctors, yep. all kinds of different people because they bring a people's perspective mm -hmm. of real life people into an office. And but they are they doing that because they want to serve the people? Well, that's a, or, that's or are they doing that because they're buying a position yes. of power? You know, yes. that's, and that's, yeah. and that's the same for all of them that you mm. have to check. Most of most of the people that I like want to go in as citizen representatives, like the ideal that we instituted, go in and serve a few years and then go back home. And I've seen people like that go in and become just as corrupt as other yeah. career politicians. Well, they're, they're in the swamp, darling. It's exactly. hard not to and, get contaminated. And some <laughs> that, that I liked and I watched them progressively yeah. move over and give up their principles for the power. And so that's part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. As you said earlier, yeah. we'll see a wide variety, but it just galls me when I see a politician that's been there 50 years, never run as much as a lemonade stand, mm -hmm. talk about business yeah. economics like their CEO when right. they have no private experience. And even though the government is a large organization with vast sums of money, the motivation on how that money's budgeted and spent and all these things is totally different than a business. And so the calculations of what you're going to do are totally different as well. Yeah. We, we, again, we don't have balance. You know, yes. it's, it's, you know, we, a lot of companies would prefer to hire someone with generalities than speciality because that person with the generality shows adaptability, shows a willing to learn, shows are willing to look at multiple pictures and not just keep focusing in on only on one. And so there, there is more room for growth and more room for, for troubleshooting, more room to, look at things, room to look at things from a different angle. Um, when we go in with just one laser view 
and then what are we doing we're just paying attention to one thing but what about all the rest and well, no system gets changed by one thing it requires everything to be tweaked yes that that's the story of grandma on the roast pan what's that story okay so you know guy comes home it, it, it's about it's always been done that way right yes and we've we've seen it in government business yeah. so this story, a guy comes home from work and his wife's making dinner for the evening and he's talking to her about their days and she's making a roast and all of a sudden she pulls this big meat cleaver out and whacks the end of the roast off. He says, well, honey, why'd you cut the end of the roast off? She goes, I don't know. Mom always did it that way. Mm -hmm. So well, let's call mama. So they call mama and they tell her the story. Mama, why'd you cut the end of the roast off? I don't know. Grandma always did it that way. So they call grandma and they tell her the story and everything. Grandma, why'd you cut the end of the roast off? because it wouldn't fit in the pan. <laughs> but by two generations, it became, it's always been done that way, regardless of the size right. of the pan. And so that's some of the things that happen. And I've seen it in, in corporations mm -hmm. <laughs> where mm -hmm. I fought it and I've seen it in government and, and non-profit uh, non organizations as well. Uh, people thinking that two generations in, it's gotta be done that way because that's what we've always done. And that's what needs to change desperately, isn't yes. it? You know, what we do is we take all the spices and the ingredients that we know are the foundation of the dish. But we can be creative of how we're going to create that dish for the palate of today. Yes. And if we're not willing to diversify or explore or broaden our whole spectrum of what else could be, what other possibilities out there, we constantly keep, and this is one of the things from a psychological aspect and from the work that, that I've been doing through my life is patterns that aren't working need to be broken. They need to be changed. We need to insert different type of patterns that are going to work for us, that are going to constantly propel us forward. Otherwise, we become stagnant. Where does the swamp happen? From stagnancy. We yeah. need constant to be in flow or always are willing to learn. Um, I've been watching a brilliant program on our brains and how to retrain our brains and memory. And one of the problems is, is that if we do the same thing over and over and over again, our brains become stagnant and then we constantly need to be uh, challenging ourselves with some form of creative process, whether we're eating a different food, driving home a different way, trying a, a different something always stepping out of what we usually do to introducing something new in order to keep our brains active. Now, I feel if we look at government, if we look at the way we live our lives, we look at education, we look at the status quo of how life should be lived. It's always on the should. Don't change it. It isn't broken. It is broken. And if we don't change it, we don't incorporate and we don't constantly look forward to how we can make things better, how we can bring things together better, then we are going to constantly have the swamp, the sewage. We have to yes. get out of that sewage by being willing to explore, to change and to challenge ourselves in going down a different road. Well, as Thomas Jefferson said, in matters of taste, swim with the current. Yeah. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. Mm -hmm. And so if we have a valid principle, for example, equal justice under the law, right? that's a valid principle in, in the US, the execution of that right now has swung over to the criminal side yeah. from the public side. And so in reinstituting that principle 
uh, and living by that principle would help our country um, principle-wise. Right. But yes, you're correct. There's other things we do that are taste or implementation type things that can be changed that do not change the principle itself. Right. Right. Um, gravity is gravity. You're not going to change it. You got to learn how to work with it, right? And not get and not get pulled down by it. It's not there to hold you down. It's there to ground you so you can reach up, right? You know. And we've also got to stop pointing this finger. It's government. It's corporation. It's social media. It's that person. There's three fingers pointing back at you, saying, "Well, what are you doing yes. about it?" Yes. Take accountability, responsibility, and participation in your own life, in your own choices. And what are you doing? to live a fruitful, abundant life that your cup can run over and serve other people. Stop well, that, looking that, to blame it on everyone else. Well, that's always an excuse because yes. regardless, and we still have first world problems, as you said, versus other countries, we all have a choice to make. Yes. Do we allow those things to be excuses for us not doing anything or do we use them as stepping stones to try to go as I call it, people say dare to dream. Well, anybody can dream. I always talk about dream and then dare. And yes. to me, that's what we have to do. We have to not let those things overtake us. And despite them, we have to continue to dream and pursue our goals and dare to be as good as we can be for ourselves and helping others. Dare to implement the dream. Yes. Yes. It's all very well so dreaming. But what are you yeah, going to, me, to do about making that dream come true? It's exactly like lightning and thunder. Everybody's mm -hmm. always scared of thunder. But what is thunder? It's just noise. Yes. It's only lightning that has the power. Right. And so dreaming without doing anything is nothing. Well, let's take you've written eight books. I'm sure that first book was quite intimidating. You know, it is it's something totally new. Um, you, you had to find a writing style or, you know, maybe the topic came to you, but you know, that first book, now you've written eight, you, yeah. you know, for you now, it's, it's just another story to tell. Yes. And you, you're not around the same trepidation as you would have been on the first book. What is fear? It's unknown. We're not familiar with. Well, unless we participate and dip our toes in the water, we're never going to be familiar with and we're always going to be afraid of the water. Yes. And, and that's the other thing we're doing to soften the population mm. is we're not encouraging people right. to try things and fail and yes. learn and retry. Yes. We're trying to protect them when they're young from any suffering. And by doing that, we're softening them. Yeah. And the, the tougher and more experience we can give children early, the better they'll be able to handle things later in life. And I know my parents and I'm sure Yours did too, grew up through the depression and the world wars and mm -hmm. had to do all kinds of things that I haven't had to do. And it made them more mature and more confident in their abilities. And it made problems they went through seem smaller than what it might be for someone who didn't have that experience. And you're right about the books, the first one, until you do it, mm -hmm. anything, you never know if you can do it or not once you do it. Just like learning to ride a bicycle. Once you do it, then it's a lot easier than that first time trying yes. to figure out how to be successful. And yeah. so we need to give people the incentive to try 
fail, coach them up, put them back in there to try again, build them up, encourage them to reach as high as they can. I believe that we never reach our pinnacle until we fail at the very highest level. Oh, 100% agree. I mean, and every job I've ever gone into, I've taught myself into and taught them into hiring me. And then I found out whether I could do it or not. And, you know, yes. my very first podcast was live. I was with a different network and, and live for 13 months. And I pressed all the bu- wrong buttons. It was a Monty Python skit. You know, they're, are you there? Are you there? You know, try and find it. And then doing live shows. You're in the middle of a show. Somebody drops and or you drop or this happens and that happens. But the the wonderful thing about things going wrong is you learn how to put them right or you learn how to go with the flow. It's like something goes wrong on a show. We own it. Stop trying to look for perfection, folks, because that's where you're going to fall and not get back up. Failure is when you refuse to get back up. I don't call it failure. I call it lessons learned. Absolutely. And that's another terrific aspect of parenthood. And so one of the things that I did, the, the Surviving Grief by God's Grace was my second book. I never dreamed I'd write a first right. one. The second one was 14 years after the first one. Uh, it was after the loss of my son. Well, when my son was born, as we talked about earlier, when he was six months old, because I was in my 40s, I thought, well, I may not live long enough to teach him. So I wrote him a letter and I had 46 life lessons that I wanted to make sure he learned even if I wasn't there to teach him. Mm-hmm. And then we lost him. Well, in that book and later in Navigating Life's Journey, I republished those 46 life lessons for him. And to me, they're valuable uh, to anyone Yes, because they're things that every child needs to learn. And if a parent doesn't know to teach them, mm-hmm. they need to figure out where to get them to, so they can. Uh, these books obviously have suggestions in there from that standpoint, but we need to be able to teach the children long range. Yes. And that was what I was working on doing when we lost him uh, prematurely as we did. And so now, and I've had so many examples where people have read that letter and come back and told me how much it's meant to them and their families because of them thinking of an idea from the letter they didn't think of right and what they needed to share with their children and you know but that since the beginning of time when anybody has given birth the community came together everybody looked after for that child um everybody came together to help the parents especially the mother obviously in the beginning everybody was there It, it it wasn't just the parent's child. It was the community's child. And then we went into, and I feel it's been really more in the last 30, 40 years, of me, my own. I don't even know my neighbor. I don't trust anyone. Where are you? What are you doing? You better be stay here. And we've become paranoid. And, and in, in some ways, just cause, because the evils have, have had more power yes. to put us in that position. And we need to change that. Um, I have a grandson, 15-month-old grandson, and I remember the first time he rolled off the bed when they didn't realize he could roll off the bed. And of course, he's crying. My son-in-law has got, you know, lights in his eyes. Has he got concussion feeling his head? My daughter, I'm a terrible parent. 
And I'm just watching the child cry. And then he turned <laughs> around and he looked at me and he smiled. And I said, he's fine. And this is the first of many. Yes. And of course, since then, he's learned to walk and he's tripped and fallen and this and that. And he has his cry. And me as grandma, I know when it's a cry that needs picking up and hugging or it's crying. Oh, whoopsie daisy. Up you get. <laughs> right. And, and they just go, OK, right. I fell up. I get. And they learn. Right. And it is if we could learn along with our children, we would be reminded actually how to actually participate in life. Because when we watch how they go through their learning process, we realize we've forgotten how to learn. We've forgotten how to look at things simply and how to appreciate things simply, how to simply be in joy. We've got so bogged down by this blanket of misery that's perpetually given to us that we've forgotten the beauty of life, the love of life. And if we could step back into that pure joy and that love, that would burn off the negativity, that would burn off the evil. What we seed, what we water, what we nurture is what's going to grow. Why is this evil society growing so much? Well, I think it goes back, uh, and you're exactly correct. When children were born, a lot of times you had the family for multiple generations were still there close. Yes. Uh, your neighbors, a lot of times, went to the same church, had the same faith beliefs that you had. And so there was a commonality and a brother and sisterhood from that as well. And so people felt a kinship, whether they were blood kin or not, because of their beliefs and the amount of time they fellowshiped and worked together. People were not moving around as much. And right. so they had deeper ties over the years. So there, those threads were sown tighter together. And Reliant now, on each other, right? Yes. Out they, of respect. They come more apart because of a lack, lack of moral discipline that we talked about, mm -hmm. the mobility, lack of response. I mean, all these things work against those things. And they all point back that if we want them in a civilization, we can see where we had a better civilization than we have now. And we can see what was done then. So why won't we try some of those things again? And it's not about going back in time, as we see some no. of the government officials trying to do, turn the clock back 50 years, almost to women being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen again you know, submissive, you know, trying to take away all women's rights altogether. We're not talking about going back in time. What we're talking about is the fundamental things that grounded us, that rooted us, that gave us um, the grounding of which to grow from more solidly, more collectively. What we've done, we seem to have severed our roots and we're flapping in the wind, looking for somewhere to land. We, we don't know where we belong anymore. So we need to take some of those moral principles of what used to be that made a community, that made us stand up for our neighbor, that made us come together, that made us support one another, that based life in love and respect. Those are the things that we need to root and, and seed and water and nurture and allow them to grow in the fruits that they will grow in today. But without that foundation, what are we growing? What are we, what are we seeding in? Well, and see, that's exactly right. Uh, we who want to go, I hate to say the word back, but we who want to look at what worked previously, right. you don't adopt what was bad. Right. You don't adopt the barefoot and pregnant thing. No. You adopt the, the moral uh, 
background and faith and things of this nature. You adopt what was worked and you don't adopt what didn't. Right. People who don't want to change where we're at, they say, oh, you just want to go back yeah. 50 years and they don't want to do anything that worked previously. Right. Because they are where they want to be. They're on attack where they feel they can do what they want to do anytime without any consequence. Right. And that's that's what we can't have. It used to be that my rights ended at your nose, mm. that I could do a lot of things. But yeah. if I hit you in the nose, then I violated your rights, exercising my rights. But it well, also today, used to be the word no yes, meant something. And, and now it now, doesn't anymore. <laughs> now we're letting people hit people in the nose. Yeah. And they're not being punished. So they're yeah. violating people's rights and exercising their own rights. And, and the thing and, is, is throwing people in jail isn't the, the kind of punishment we're looking for. We're really actually looking at an etiquette re-education. Well, if we, value discipline, you we know? discipline little kids yeah. early and similar, like when I was in school, I mean, we had corporal punishment. I, my dad, if I got a lick at school, I got two at home. You know, it didn't matter if I was right or wrong. That was the punishment. And so if we have the discipline when we're younger, then we don't have the incarceration older because people know they can't get away with crime. Right. It's only when you don't discipline people when they're younger and they, we wait until they do the most heinous crimes and put them away. Then we've got jails overflowing. Right. But we do have another problem now, which again, I've done numerous shows on uh, the children, quote, quote, being disciplined in a way that no child ever should be disciplined. We're seeing more sexual exploitation and more child abuse than ever before. And the, we would think in this day and age, the children would have a bigger voice and the voices are being suppressed in a very violent way. And many of the time, the violence that you see that's been expressed when they get older is that they have never been taught empathy. I, I have a foster mom who adopted a child. Went, he came to her as a foster child at 16. He'd never been hugged in his entire life. Yeah. He'd just gone from one foster home to the other, toss, toss, toss. Another guy... Um, his own parents playing Russian roulette, who are we going to shoot first, Ma? And then going into the foster care abuse. Yeah. And he then spent his many years of his life trying to love everyone just to be loved and, and, and until somebody, and it's always that one person, that one person when you're ready that says to you something. And in, in his case, it was stop trying to get to love everyone else for them to love you. Simply learn to love yourself. And when we can to learn to love ourselves for who we are and the essence of who we are, not the, not the brokenness, not what's happened to us, but who we can be as a character, as a person, as a heart, as a soul, as a spirit, as a contribution, when we can learn to love ourselves, we step into that essence of love. We can't willingly do any harm to anyone else. And that resonance of that love is invitational to everyone else and becomes healing for everyone else. But we have to take responsibility for that healing. And we also have to take responsibility of what we're doing to our children. Because we can blame them as adults for doing what they're doing. But let's reverse the clock and see what they've gone through. Because if we haven't taught them discipline, if we haven't taught them love, if we haven't given them a voice, if we haven't shown them how to be heard or what their opinion is, or 
or to value and respect them as a human being, that's the reason why they play up later. Yeah, and, and what we have to do if we find someone who's already uh, 18, 20 years old and they've been through that, we yeah. can't change the past. No. But if we can catch them and turn them out of that victim mentality that yeah. I had these issues, so my life is ruined, it's, there's no purpose in it. If we can reinstill purpose and hope and that love yeah. and those different things, then there's a chance for them to turn it around. And again, we go back to culture and government yes. promotes victimhood. Yeah. They want to tell people that, well, you had this situation. Government's the only thing that can help you. And you have a limitation of what you can do in the future, which is totally wrong. And 100%. so I think there's some great examples of people who've come out of broken homes and mm broken situations and it had great successes and we need to celebrate them and help them communicate those stories to others and pull those other people up behind them. 80% of my, my people I've interviewed over the 10 years are those people. When you hear what they have had to go through in life, that's the key, go through. Yeah. They realize it wasn't what happened to them. They looked at what happened for them. And they discovered courage. They discovered strength. They discovered abilities. They discovered what they did want, the empowerment of choosing for themselves. And they broke free of what happened to them and became stronger people because of it. And now Absolutely. are living a life in their own truth, a meaningful purpose. Every single one of them are yes. in a meaningful purpose. But they decided to go through the process and not stay stuck in the trauma, which became the drama. Yes. When you overcome <coughs> adversity in life and, and achieve, I think people who do that are usually much happier, more successful than people that never had to overcome any kind yes. of situation. Yes. And some people they know the value. Them. They know the value. of Yes. Life. They know the right. value and what they had to do yeah. to do that. Yes. Whereas other people who've had a very easy lifestyle their whole life sometimes can be very spoiled and not appreciate things because everything's been too easy to them. Uh, we see it in uh, college athletes a lot of times, and I'll just use that as an example, where they've been the prima donnas and the stars, and until they get to a certain place where they're not as big as they think they are, yeah. and then they wake up and wonder how come nobody's uh, just kissing their tails, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And so they get a rude awakening, and we're much better off if we have that rude awakening early and realize that we're no one's better than we are and we're no, no better than anyone else is. We're all equal and we ought to treat everybody equally with the same respect uh, as we go forward and, uh, and be grateful, grateful for what we have. You know, gratitude uh, is something I think we need to wake up with every morning. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to have another day in front of me. Yes. I'm grateful for the possibilities that lie before me. It doesn't matter how I feel today, like as I say, uh, I've just had a very, very bad case of bronchitis. And unfortunately, here in BC, we have a million people without doctors right now. So it was really, really hard. I literally had to go to emergency to get help. And so I left it too long and I got sicker. But I'm grateful that I got the medication and I'm grateful that I'm still able to do this because this is my meaningful purpose. But I came to it late in life. I came to it at 57. And it's never, ever, 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 ever too late to right. find something that means something to you that through sick or thin you will get up for because it means so much for you. 
that didn't come to me handed on a plate. I had to go through trial and tribulation of all sorts of things to get there. And when I started this journey, I had absolutely no idea it was going to lead me down this path of my own self-discovery, of my own exuberance, of learning so much from the people that I've interviewed and seeing such beautiful, divine illumination and heart and souls of people who did not give up, did not give in, that rose to the occasion and that are now that beacon of hope for other people. And we all have that capability inside of us. It's yes. our choice if we're going to do it or not. And nobody can take that choice away from you. No one. It's your choice. Yes. And I'll give you a corollary to the 100 years from now, what difference will it make story? Mm -hmm. So people will ask me a lot of times when I'll see them, they'll say, well, how are your book sales going? And book sales are important. I like it. But mm -hmm. I tell them that alone is not my calculus. Mm -hmm. And my calculus, because of the 100 years from now, what difference will it make and other things is just to do the best I can every day and let the results yes, speak for themselves. leave them to the man upstairs mm -hmm. because it may be I see something or I may see nothing in my lifetime. There yeah. may be something beyond my lifetime yeah. that touches someone or not. I don't have a choice no. in what results there are. I only right. have a choice in what I do. Yes. Same thing with you. You're putting yeah. together all these shows. There's no telling mm -hmm. uh, how many years from now they'll be running and helping other people who never meet you mm -hmm. and who see it, but get a value out of the discussion. Right. And so it's our job to do that as our, as our world goes down and down and down into a lower place. I think there's opportunities in the future for these positive messages. Yes. Even better than there are today because people will want to see how were they positive in the past? Right. What can we do to turn this around? And so I think there's great opportunity for who knows how long. You're putting out through the shows that you do, through the books that you write, through the message that you have. I'm that platform for that message. The more and more of us that are doing that, we're saturating the market with solution. We're saturating the market with invitation, with illumination, with, with hope. And the more and more that's out there, the easier and easier it is for people to find. Yes. But again, if you are not willing to participate in your own life, in your own recovery, in your own value of why you are here, if you're not willing to do that and you're just waiting for someone to come and do it for you, you will always miss out. You will always be empty. You will always be flapping in the wind and you'll always be a victim of government and everybody else that's pulling your strings. You have yes. to take onus. And that means listen, read, learn, apply. That's exactly right. And uh, a lot of times people don't progress because they feel like other people are better off than they are. Mm -hmm. And I always say the only competition we have is being better than we were yesterday. Thank you. And so that's a very simple compare. thing. Deadly, to do. deadly. It's deadly. Very simple compare. thing. Yeah. What can I do today that makes me better than yesterday? Exactly. And then tomorrow, repeat. Exactly. And the next day, repeat. Yes. And as long as we're making the right direction and progress, the speed and the amount doesn't make it as much difference. Yeah. Can we look at our, you know, eye to eye with ourselves and, and, and say to ourselves, Am I contributing? And it's not the amount you contribute. It's not the percentage. Is am I stepping up every day? 
in my own life, in, in my participation. It's not about the measurement. It's not about how many people listen or how many people read, although it's wonderful that they do because that's the lesson we're trying to teach. But it, it's, that's out of our hands, right? We don't yes. do it for the adulation. We do it for the message because we have taken this journey. We want you to benefit from what we have learned to make your journey easier. But you've got to apply. Yes. Uh, let me share a story, if I may, that happened yesterday. Um, I, this particular week, we're doing Father's Day messages on the radio mm -hmm. shows that I'm doing. And uh, they center around the letter I wrote to my son. And I had a four-minute spot in Des Moines, Iowa yesterday at 7.39 in the morning. Well, I had to drop my truck off for service at a Ford store. Well, right before the interview, there were a lot of people in the service waiting room. So I walked over to the sales waiting room. So I'm doing this four-minute interview. One man walks through, leaves. I don't see where he goes. I complete it. I get my truck. I start driving home. I get a phone call. And it's this guy asking me if I was the one talking. And he told me how the words I shared about the loss of my son and how I recovered from it helped him because he had lost his daughter two months ago. Ah, uh, right time, right place. And you talk about a humbling thing. Yes. Uh, and here, I don't know if anyone in Iowa benefited from that interview right. or not, but I know this guy in yes. Texas who only heard my side of the story right. yes he he was benefited right and we and never know yeah who or when or where right you humble. don't know the impact you're going to have on other people and and really quite honestly in a lot of ways it's none of your business right we just do and and if that right person hears you at the right time and it has that impact i would say if if there's one thing, just even one thing that somebody gets out of a show, epiphany, a change of opinion, a, do, a new perspective, a solution. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Right. But we are all people in our own self-discovery of where do we belong or how can we overcome grief? How can we? And the grief of a loss of a child, as I said, I wouldn't even know. I'm afraid to God I never do have to know. But there is so much grief in so many other aspects. And for so yes. many people, it's the grief of losing themselves. And you know that when you do lose a child or lose someone very close to you, and I've heard this over and over again, of people losing themselves. Yes. And that rediscovery of yourself, of that life. Your child, your child's body left. It never left. He never left you. He's with you. He's lived on yes. within you. He's lived on in the message that you are, you are teaching and sharing with others, they never die. It's just the body leaves. Their spirit and their essence is always with us. And it empowers us. And we all sign a soul contract when we come here for whatever length of time. And we don't know what, why, our purpose. That's for us to discover, right? Yes. And yes. when we lose someone, for God's sake, don't dismiss them. They are a part of you celebrate them, let them live on within you, share their essence within you, through you, with others, because that's how we honor them. Yes. Impact of a life is more important than its length was a yes. first lesson I learned at my son's funeral. And as you say, uh, he's been gone now several years, but his impact continues 
even when we're talking about it today, exactly. that conversation yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every time I'm very humbled mm-hmm. and I don't grieve where he is. I grieve where he isn't because yes. he's not with me at the moment in this dimension. Yeah. But yes, as you say, he is still having impact in this mm-hmm. world. Yes. No one should have to, to bury their child. No one. Um, and especially, you know, unexpectedly, I mean, Sid's, I assume it was Sid's. Um, his crib, yes. Right. And, but, you know, when a child is also taken through violence, you know, that is, I think, a, a pain that is so hard because you want someone to be accountable. Yes. Uh, you, you know, you and, and, and in this case of the children that have been and, and all of the people that have been senselessly killed, it's where is their justice? Because all we're seeing is yet another and yet another and yet another and nothing's everybody's talking, but nobody's doing something about it. And again, please don't wait for media or for government or for for any of those other laws to change. You want the environment to change. We've got to be the environment that changes. That will force the laws to change. That will force government to change. But if we're waiting on them, what we're going to see is more deaths. Well, and yes, we have a responsibility (coughs) to enforce justice on criminals in this dimension. Yes. But we should not overlook that there will be an eternal justice meted out to those people also. Yes. Yes. Um, How do we heal those broken hearts? We can't go to them and say, I know what you're going through. We can't go to them uh, and say, I have any understanding. All we can do is simply be there for them. Please don't avoid them. When people have had a loss, sometimes turning up with a casserole dish, doing their laundry, saying nothing, but just being there. You know, you know, it's just, be there in any way. They don't know what they want from you. They're in pain. They're in pain. Yes. And they don't know how to deal with this pain and this anguish. And especially if it's been done by violence. Uh, they want justification. They, they want answers. And it's going to take time. And as a community, don't just love and respect them today while they're in the news. This pain and anguish is going to be with them for a long time. Absolutely. And you need to be there for them. And they're going to go through a roller coaster of emotions. And they may even lash out at you. Let them. It's, don't take it personally. They're going through stuff. Simply be there for them in any capacity you can be. And let us show people community counts. I think those are all great comments. A couple of things I would add is um, not saying I understand, but just telling people I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And another thing is if asking people, how can I help? Well, they don't know. Like they don't know. They don't bring a casserole, mow the grass, pick up a package for them. Mm -hmm. Tell them if you know, they need something, just tell, Hey, I'm going to take care of this for you. Yeah. And again, being there, sometimes just sitting in a room and being quiet together, sometimes listening. Uh, It it doesn't have to be talking necessarily on that. And the one other, probably the biggest no-no that I heard in in the loss of my son was someone telling me that they understood what I was going through because they had lost a pet. 
mm-hmm. that was close to them. And I've had many pets that I loved dearly, yeah. but it is nowhere near the loss of a pet. And those words hurt more than anything. Right. And, you know, everybody has their own grieving process and their own, you know, their their own value of life and death. And, and it's not diminishing the person that's lost the pet. But again, I, I said it earlier, do not compare. Yes. Do not compare. You have no understanding of what that person is going through. If you have lost something and you understand the pain of that loss, then you can say, I have a small, a small smidgen of how it feels but I don't know how you feel. And maybe you don't know how you feel. I'm just there to help. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm a believer in the power of prayer. Mm. And we sometimes we can see the results. Sometimes we can't. Yeah. But I'm a believer. I've received and I've seen results of it. So I'm a very big believer in it uh, as well. And so you're right. It, it takes time. It does. And everyone's different. And another thing that's very unique is in, in a couple, you have individual grievers. Each person mm. in a couple grieve differently. Yes. And so they will have to grieve together in some respects, but then they have to respect each other's individual grieving process as well. And mine and my wife at the time's process was totally different. And I had to I had to support hers in ways that I didn't really want to do, but I had to support her and she supported my individual grieving needs. Uh, so that is very important as well. Yeah. And, and you know, something I have seen because I know way too many people who have lost their children is it's eaten them up that if they have other children, the other children feel less than. And the child that they lost becomes the absolutely everything in the grief and the other children say but I'm still here and they don't feel seen they don't feel heard and they feel well maybe I should have gone instead and then you've got the other parent that shuts down because they don't know what to do and then next thing you know you have a broken family yeah and it is really important that yes you've all got your individual healing but there is some way you've got to find some sort of glue to hold each other together yes well, one of the things that I experienced, and, and I've tried to describe this, but uh, I believe each of us in our heart has a place when people come into our lives that we love, that person has that place. And if they're lost, nothing replaces that person right. in that place in our heart. And so for other family members, they have their own special mm-hmm. place as well. And so if someone's going through what you described, that tells me they were disproportionately mm. living in that place in their heart and ignoring the other yeah. place. And that's a very sad situation. And I think that's part of people getting hung up in, in the why me yeah. and looking back in the past and getting hung up in the past. Uh, and I'm a big believer. We can never accomplish anything in the, in the mm. future with a, a bad attitude and a bad attitude about the past prevents us from going in the future. And so I believe our God is in the future and he wants, that's where he wants us to go. And we have to figure out what we're supposed to learn from that loss and go forward and heal and help others and contribute uh, from that learning experience. And it really doesn't matter what belief or what faith you're in. The prayer 
is a coming together of divine energy that is healing. It is the power of that love that is collectively like a chorus coming together that heals the heart and the soul that solidifies that strength and empowers. So yes. it doesn't matter what the faith, it is having a faith that is bigger than you and that when collectively comes together is so utterly empowering in that love. Yes. And that is that power of community. That is that power of respect, um, of responsibility and accountability, of value of life. It is that coming together in that essence that is so utterly pure and true that that becomes the basis, the foundation of everything we are and everything we do. Yes. Yes. Uh, because if we have a faith that there's a world beyond this one. Yeah then we're going to be considerate of are we going to be in that world and be in a good place or a bad place <laughs> and based on what we're doing here and if we don't think there's anything beyond this world i pity those people more than anything because they have to live in this broken world <coughs> with good and evil in this world and they have no hope for a future beyond it I always believe that heaven and hell is right with us right now. We can choose hell and to live in that. And we can choose to live in heaven right here in our very life right now. And if we choose to live in the heaven essence of that love, of that meaningful purpose, of that divine essence, we will rise up collectively after our bodies go into that collective essence. But if we choose the hell, the anguish, the disconnect, the hate, the greed, the opulence, the power, the, um, the, the sheer loathing of life, that you're in hell. You're already in hell. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to stay there. Heaven's always open. But you have, you have to go through the process to earn your way to heaven. And that is just purely you have to learn to love. You have to learn to be kind. You have to learn to be respectful. You have to learn to value life. You have to learn to be a contributor, to, be, to participate, and to be a part of that collective, of that higher energy that is worthy. But we have to earn that, don't we? It's not just, I mean, it is given to us as a child, but what we do with it as we grow is up to us. Well, and everyone's uh, faith differences, they're obviously different beliefs right. and, and all of that. And uh, so, but everyone who I believe believes in a, a creator in a afterlife generally will behave better yes. in this life than people who don't have any hope in anything beyond this world. And death doesn't mean you're going to automatically go to heaven. If you've if you are presently living in a hell, you're going to go wherever your energy is. So if you are living in that violent or that, that emptiness where you feel that you have to hurt others to fulfill yourself, that hell, you're going to, whether you live or not, you're, that's where you're going to go. Yeah. Right? If you want that heaven essence, you need to step into it in this body's lifetime. Because that's yes. not an automatic you're going to it. 
No. Right? You got to rise up to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there's a lot there here that we've talked about today, but you know, one of the yes. things that we really have talked about is accountability, responsibility, common sense, and that if we want change, we've got to be the change. We are the change. We are the peace. We are the solution that we seek. And that our grieving, whether it's a, for a loss of a child or other people's children, but the, for, the, for the loss of the sheer respect of life and society, of a way of living that, that seems to be degrading, um, we instead of just grieving for it, we need to change the waters. We need to change the energy and that it requires us collectively to do so. So a lot to think about. And of course, a lot of your books to read and uh, <laughs> the beautiful you know, messages to your son, which I think whether you've lost a child or not, whether you know, raising a child or grandchild or just children of the community, Anytime we have messages that make us think and see things differently is a plus. It's yes. an aid. It's something that helps us move forward. So will you please tell us how people can find all these books and also how they can find you? Well, they can find me. The website is richardbattle.com. Email richard at richardbattle.com. Uh, everything's available there. If they go to any bookstore, they go to Amazon, there's Kindles and audio versions of most of the books as well. And uh, anything we can do to be of help to anyone, we appreciate the opportunity. And Surviving Grief by God's Grace. And what was the other one of writing uh, for your son? Well, the, I put a chapter in Navigating Life's Journey on this particular letter as well, because I published Surviving Grief by God's Grace in 2002. So it's been out 20 years now. Mm. And yet still is impacting people. And I, when I went back, when I was working on Navigating Life's Journey two years ago and reread the letter, I said, I need to republish this because mm -hmm. I think it can be helpful. Right. And you, you've got the Volunteer's Handbook. You've got the Master Secret uh, Sales Secret. I mean, you've got a huge amount of diversification here. So, yes. you know, I invite people... Um, please come back and listen to our other show where we, as I said, we, we talked about this big word, common sense, uh, <laughs> which, you know, navigating life's journey, common, uncommon. And, you know, we talked a great deal, you know, about yes. government, about where we're at. And, uh, you know, there's always more conversation to have because, uh, it, as I said before we even started the show, we have to, folks, as a society, keep the conversation going. Because if we don't, it becomes yesterday's news and tomorrow's problem. And we have to keep the conversation going to invite the change, to collectively put our heads together on how we can change as an individual, as a community, as a society. Uh, because don't look to the governments. We have got to be the government and change them. And until we do, we're, not, we're just going to keep on seeing more and more horrific news. And we don't yes. want to see any more grieving parents. We don't want to see any more grieving society. We don't want to see any more broken lives because how productive is that? Zero. That is correct. And unfortunately we'll see some, but we want to minimize it and we want to help people live better lives and have more optimism and have a more fulfilling life uh, than they may have by sharing these type ideas. 
absolutely. We are the solution. We've just got to participate, speak, communicate, read, listen, have open dialogue. How can we be the change that is necessary? And really, it's not finger pointing or shame or blame. It's about our own accountability and what are we going to do about it? Yes. Delighted to have you back here again, Richard. Please come back again in the future. My pleasure. Uh, happy to come back anytime. Always a great conversation. Always, always. Thank you so much. So, folks, Thank please you. remember, we don't want to see any more of this horrific news. We don't want to see it's that one's fault, that one's fault, that one's fault. We want to understand it's a collective issue and collectively we need to come together to change the whole society, the whole waters, the whole um, system, because only when we do that collectively together are we going to resolve the problems. So until next time, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Find all of our shows on selfdiscoverymedia.com under podcasts or selfdiscoverymedia slash shows. And for all our current shows, go to What's New. We are supported by you, the audience. You'll see a nice big shiny blue button for one-time donations or follow us on Patreon and you will be able to support us there. We enjoy bringing you such wisdom. And the next show will be up in just a moment.